BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 546 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. Chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It has been an honor to be with you this week on Monday, Wednesday, and today, Friday the 13th. As superstition says, the day King Philip arrested the Knights Templar, the day highlighted by Thomas Lawson's 1907 novel Friday the 13th, when an unscrupulous broker took advantage of the superstition to create a Wall Street panic, a superstition that may have arisen in the Middle Ages, originating from the story of Jesus' Last Supper and crucifixion when 13 were present the night before his death on Good Friday, although there was no record of the two days being connected before the 19th century. Will today be unlucky for current President Donald Trump or for American democracy? For Trey Gowdy and the Red Wall or the FBI? For the NATO alliance or for Vladimir Putin's efforts to tear it asunder? For Theresa May or for Brexit? For the American economy or for the middle class and working Americans? For Roe versus Wade, health insurance and voting rights? Or for Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court? We're going to start out with the Trump-NATO. Trump's visit to NATO and his continued habit to go after people who have previously been thought of as our closest allies and treat them poorly while treating friendly those who are our adversaries. And I'm not making that up. It just seems like the pattern. We're going to bring in somebody who knows more than I do to confirm or deny that, but also to give us some background. Do we still need NATO? 
Why does Putin want it gone? Why does Trump attack it? How does it work? Should other NATO nations, in fact, kick in 4% of their GDP to equal the United States, or should our country head towards or even below the 2% of GDP, military spending, the ratio of other nations? Joining us on the air is Peter Beinart. Peter from The Atlantic has written a series of stories, including What's the Point of NATO Anyway? Peter, good morning. Peter, are you there? Peter can't hear us. The, uh, uh, we will be getting to Peter in a moment. Today is Anything Goes Friday. We will take your calls. The call-in number here is 202-808-9925. It's 202-808-9925. Today we'll be asking again, as we do on Fridays from time to time, on Anything Goes, what's the big lie? What are the big dishonesties that we need to be paying attention to? Also, what's the big miss? What do we need to attend to? And you can call in at 202-808-9925. One of the things that has been brought up by the president as we work to get Peter Beinert on the line is how do we respond? How should we be thinking about Donald Trump's accusations of NATO allies of not kicking in their fair share. First of all, let's disabuse one notion. This is not a country club. And shout out to Pod Save America for that analogy. This is not a country club where people kick in their dues into a common bank account and then that bank account pays it out. It's not like we're paying all the money into that bank account because that bank account doesn't exist. It is an alliance that is agreed to if one of the nations is attacked, the other nations will come to defense of that nation. And in order to make that real, each of them pledges some percentage, some portion to actually have a military, so that's a real promise. Other nations in the wake of the Cold War have reduced their military spending to some degree. If there were a 2% of GDP expectation that military spending is in fact the ratio of how much is spent on military, this nation is spending closer to 4%. And given that our GDP is very large, that means we are spending an awful lot in real dollars. But again, it's not going to some bank account. It just means we're spending more on our military than they are spending on their military. It raises the question, it begs the question, it's now been raised in the Washington Post, it's been raised in the, Atlant in the Atlantic, is the better move for the United States to demand that every other NATO nation boost their military spending, then we are still in the nuclear age, but we are not in the middle of the Cold War? Or does it make more sense for us as a nation to reduce our military spending? If we think it's unfair, well, thank you, Mr. President, for bringing that up. One way to address that unfairness would be for this nation to start taking advantage of a meaningful peace dividend, to spend less money on military and more money on things that value, provide value to the nation. How are we doing? Are we able to get Peter yet? Okay. Still waiting to get Peter Beinert on the line. Let's go, some of the, go through some of the things that are, in fact, happening in the world. Some of the stuff we're going to want to be talking about over the next three hours. I do want to talk a little bit about the American economy. We are in the middle of, and some would say towards the end of, one of the longest run-ups, one of the longest recoveries, one of the longest growth periods of the American economy in modern American history. I think it's now the second longest. And the question is, has the physics, have the physics of the American economy fundamentally changed? I would say almost certainly not. That means there will be a dip at some time. Will it be soon? Will it be later? Nobody knows. I do have a question for you and for us to consider. What will be the elements that are most likely to bring it down? Maybe the most likely element to bring it down is the kind of thing we can't predict, the black swan, the thing, the unknown unknown. But what are the clues, what is happening in the American economy now that we should be aware of that might be the thing that starts taking us down a little bit? Another thing we're going to want to talk about during these three hours is to watch our language. Why do we get together like this? I recognize that a lot of us who listen to this program, and thank you for doing so, a lot of us who listen to this program do so because we share values, because we share ideas, and it is useful to communicate with one another about things that we share. And one thing we can do 
is generate a more virtuous, a more pro-democracy, a more pro-social, a more compassionate, a more accurate, a more truthful vocabulary. Not the death tax, it's the estate tax, it's the inheritance tax, maybe the rich kids tax. Exploring for energy is what Frank Luntz wants to say. Drill, baby, drill is what they say when they're not paying attention. Opportunity and education is what they say instead of gutting public schools through voucher schemes. Tax relief is what they say instead of giveaways to the upper incomes. What are the other areas where we need to watch our language? We'll be talking about that on today's show. And again, the call-in number here is 202-808-9925. If you've got to watch your language for Anything Goes Friday, if you've got something we should be attending to. We're also going to revisit family values. The news comes at us so fast. It comes at us so fast that we want to provide a base note to the cacophonous trouble. And that base note includes democracy, includes the middle class, includes saving the climate, and it includes identifying the hypocrisy, not merely the day-to-day and obvious and typical and banal and now boring hypocrisy of political life, but the stuff that is so pernicious, the stuff that so tears, tears away the veneer of the movement that now runs the government of the country, not a majority of the American people, mind you, but the government of the country, and that includes family values. To review this week, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about mother's milk, and we shouldn't forget. These are some of the things as we do the weekly recap. The call-in number again, 202-808-9925. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. Joining you. Happy Friday. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for doing it. Hey, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're working on making sure the phones work. I'm going to test them right now. I'm going to try to take Michael's call. Michael, can you hear me? We're going to try Chris. Chris, can you hear me? All right. We will work on getting the phone lines up. I started addressing a question that I don't want us to lose, and that is, how do we make sure we watch our language? The last time there was a significant resurgence of progressive energy was in advance of Barack Obama's election to the presidency. It was in reaction to George W. Bush's presidency and the invasion and occupation of Iraq. And during that time, the work of Frank Luntz, the Republican wordsmith, and the work of George Lakoff, the author of Don't Think of an Elephant, in some, to some degree in response to Frank Luntz, became popularized. But in an era when the Twitter and Facebook and bot controversy and fake news has dominated our understanding of the process, and knowing that psychological studies suggest we can really only keep about seven things in our brain at once, we can forget stuff. And we forget stuff all the time. I forgot until it was brought up Last night, I, I, mean, I didn't forget, like, I hadn't, you know, if somebody brought it up, I wouldn't have thought it were to be true, but I had forgotten about Trump's attack of the Gold Star family and the American war hero who was also the children, the child, excuse me, of immigrants. And it wasn't until the interchange with Trey Gowdy and the FBI agent just yesterday that I would have remembered. Another thing I think we have forgotten, though, is how much language as we are on Anything Goes Friday and working to get the call machine working, that the battle over language, as InfoWars said they have a war on information, that's me saying it, they call themselves InfoWars, but I think they mean it, that they view words as a tool, not as a tool to identify truth, to figure out together how things ought to work and what is so and what's not so, but how do our words used as a tool to gain and wield and maintain power. Examples that became famous included the death tax, included exploring for energy versus drilling for oil, included opportunity in education rather than gutting public school funding. More recently, a little bit, not long after that, there was the transmogrification of teabaggers into the Tea Party. They called themselves the teabaggers. And then some people said, you know, that could be viewed as kind of a rude word. And so they 
somehow appropriated and misappropriated one of the founding events of the nation, which wasn't merely, by the way, a, a, an attack on taxation. It was an attack of the absence of representation. It was an attack about democracy. It was a demonstration about how we are stronger together than we are apart. There are other examples. And over the next three hours, I would welcome calls at 202-808-9925 to offer other examples. But here are a couple others. Here's one I heard from a Tom Hartman listener. We really appreciate the wisdom. We got a really smart audience. And a Tom Hartman listener said, I think it was last year, who said, you know, when Supreme Court's talking about free speech, when they're actually talking about commercial speech, we have to make sure we don't identify that as free speech. That is purchased speech. Free speech is what you do. Free speech is what a media outlet does as long as they aren't willfully or recklessly denying the truth. Purchase speech is when you buy an ad to promote something in your financial self-interest. Purchase speech is what politicians do in campaigns when they buy ads. And there is a case to be made that purchase speech can be regulated because money can be regulated. During the Bush era, the Orwellian words, compassionate conservatism, clear skies initiative, healthy forests, no child left behind, essentially stuff that was exactly the opposite or darn nigh the opposite of what was intended. Meant to attract the middle by, while also pumping up the conservative base. Americans, by the way, would prefer greater energy efficiency to increased conservation because efficiency suggests getting more for less while conservation has a tone of sacrifice. For that same reason, renewable energy is more popular than alternative energy. The United States is against mother's milk. This was a story that was published. This was a headline. The United States coming out against breastfeeding. But I would say that we've got to watch our language, that we've got to communicate with media outlets who have headlines like that, because it was Trump, not the United States of America. It was the Trump administration, if you will, the Republican Party, perhaps. But it was not the United States of America that is opposed to mother's milk, that is opposed to promoting breastfeeding and its health impacts. Also to the media, we've got to watch our language when we always use the term shooters. Shooter is the kind of thing that removes the tragedy. It's the kind of thing that one could imagine themselves in and, redu and takes away the humanity of the victim. Shooter's the kind of thing you do in a video game. Shooter sounds kind of fun. You could shoot skeet. If you kill people, you're a murderer. And if you kill a lot of people, you're not a mass shooter. You're a mass murderer. And you murder with a gun. If you want to include the gun fact, that's cool too, or at least important. Another one that had just come up is court packing. Now, the court has already been packed by the Federal Society, by gerrymandering, by voter suppression, by stealing the Neil Gorsuch seat. It has already been packed. Any discussion going forward of adding seats to the Supreme Court would be expanding the court. What are other elements? What are other ways that we need to watch our language? Where is the media getting it wrong? Where are places I'm getting it wrong? We're going to be talking about that and more on Anything Goes Friday. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith, and thank you so much for doing it. We appreciate it, and thanks to the team here. And thank you, Democracy. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in. It's Friday the 13th. Knights Templar might or might not have gotten arrested today. Well, it's Friday the 13th. And you know how I know it? The first reason I know it is because my phone told me. The second way was because I was listening to the radio and they mentioned it. The third way is because the phone's not working. And this is a college show. Now, being live radio and having a talented team that is resourceful, we are still recognizing that it is anything goes Friday the 13th. And in order to deal with that, we are going to have alternative ways for you all to offer your comments and offer your questions. You can hit us on Twitter at, at Tom Hartman. You can hit me on Twitter at, at Jefferson D. Smith. If you're watching or listening on YouTube, you can offer a comment there. Nate, is there any other way for them to submit to us a question or comment? They can drop by the studio, but I don't know that Sean wants me to give the address of the studio. The, let's see what we've got already. 
and feel free to offer your thoughts there. Because one of the things I wanted to ask was, what are we missing? Uh, let me ask Nate, are we able to play the Trey Gowdy back and forth, Peter Strzok uh, back and forth from yesterday? Okay. Uh, we will be playing that in the next hour. The uh, I've been talking about watching our language. Would love tweets and comments in the YouTube feed and other ways to communicate to us information. What are the other ways that language is being manipulated to distract us from a pro-social, pro-compassionate, pro-democracy, anti-oppression movement? What are the ways that the forces of entrenched wealth are subverting the conversation so that we miss what's actually going on? I also want to say something to artists. I've been listening to the Beatles. There is some virtue in, I don't want to call it retreating. I want to call it advancing to the arts in times of pain and fear. But I want us to be cognizant of how we do that. And I want to even speak to the artists who are listening. Ultimately, to win a movement in favor of humanity, in an era of money and robots, for that money and those robots to be under the thumb of, or at least at the, at the, in the ruling of, at the suggestion of, the influence of humanity, it's going to require the arts. It's not just going to be talking heads like me subbing for Tom Hartman. It's going to take people who help us understand the world, who reach us spiritually and soulfully and emotionally and musically and through story. And what story should be told? What Music must be sung. I was listening to the Beatles and I was listening to the Rolling Stones and it seemed that after the Vietnam War was starting to wind down, that the tenor of music changed. But something else occurred to me. It seemed that after the assassination of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and John F. Kennedy Jr., excuse me, John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., that the tenor of music also changed. That the Beatles started saying Alm. They started saying, let it be. The Rolling Stones started saying, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, you can get what you need. Some of the best art of the era had a theme of resignation, had a theme of therapy through pacificity. I am suggesting that we need a different kind of art now, that we need to honor and appreciate and share and listen to and purchase and create an art of resistance and an art of resistance that lasts. Because to me, we can't just let it be. We can't just say, oh, it's going to be okay. We'll get what we need. It'll be fine. Just say, om. And while I say, we do need to say om. We do need to find moments to meditate. We do need to find joy. We do need to cabin and to some degree limit the onslaught of information that stuns our senses and our synapses and our frontal lobes and has us retreating into the nether portions of our reptilian brain. That we need also to maintain vigilance and we need to celebrate that vigilance. We need to inspire that vigilance. We need to stick with the idea that humanity matters, that democracy matters, that the only way that we can morally address our sins individually from mine to maybe yours and certainly to this nation's is to work to do better tomorrow, that we must bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice, and we can't just let it be. That the art of the 2020s can't be the art of the 1970s. We can't be five years away from disco and dancing the night away. We have to be resisting. We have to appreciate when even Star Wars gives us a hero or, if you will, a heroine who fights oppression. And we need music to do similarly. What are you listening to? What are you watching? And if you're an artist yourself, how can we tell this story? How can we tell the story of putting up with what might be the fall of the American empire, but not just putting up with it? How can we communicate with the melting of the climate without just resigning ourselves to it? How can we sound the clarion call of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poor and have that not merely seem like a principle that is supposed to be followed or just, you know, let it be and we're okay with? I say this 
to be clear, as someone who's not a primarily a critic of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, I'm a big fan. They're geniuses, and we need geniuses. And geniuses aren't people who are anointed. They're people who work at stuff. It's not all natural brilliance. It's people with passion who are stonecutters, who go day after day and moment after moment. And yes, by the way, we are working to get the phones working. The thing that we need from our geniuses, from our regular people who are creating beautiful things, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me is beauty that keeps us going, that doesn't have us give up, that has us say, no, this is not okay, and it's also not okay for me to do nothing. I got to do a little bit. I have considered whether I should just be every single morning holding a sign because I've never really been the person that seemed like, you know, held a sign a lot. But maybe we need each be holding some more signs and saying, this is not okay. In a movie not too long ago, or I should say not too long after the era I am talking about, after the assassination of the greatest progressive moral leaders of the previous generations, that there was a movie when the man said, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And how did we act to the movie? Well, some people didn't take it anymore, and they continue to be activists. And to me, praise to the activists. But some people thought it was entertainment. That, oh, well, I saw the movie, and I laughed at all the right parts, and I agreed that I'm mad as hell and I didn't want to take it anymore, but I took it lots and lots of times. If we believe that democracy is not a spectator sport, if we believe that we have an obligation, that at some moments, at some key moments, we end up getting the government that we deserve, and I don't believe we have the government we deserve right now, I believe we deserve better. But if at some level we think that these articles that get printed for me that I look at, that you can see on Free Speech TV and YouTube, and if I shake it, by the microphone you can hear, that the things that come across my Twitter feed, that come across my social media, that come across my New York Times and Washington Post paid-for services because I appreciate their journalism, if that's just because I'd rather do that than watch Game of Thrones or watch the NBA Summer League, if that's the only thing that's going on, well, then I'm getting the government I deserve. Then this is, this is how it's going to go. And this tragic and tragicomic reality show of a presidency is just this season's movie. It's a bad news movie. It's one that causes stress. But if that's all it is, then we are coming from a deep place of privilege and neglecting duty and neglecting the future and neglecting our community. And we aren't fighting against oppression and we aren't doing nearly enough to address what I would say is our moral responsibility to address intergenerational misogyny and racism, that we can't just let it be. That we can't just hope that I'll get what I need. And yeah, I might. I was born in a middle-class family. We didn't have a lot of money, but I was able to go to college. And I was able to go to good law school. And although I've had to borrow some money, I didn't have to be drowned in cascading debt and I've never been pulled over just because of the color of my skin. And I've never been abused merely because the cultural misogyny that I live betwixt has decided that that's how it ought to go for the last century. And we can't just let it be. We're working to make sure the phones aren't just letting it be either. And we appreciate your phone calls and your participation. This is Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith, filling it as best I can. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jeff. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never... Th- used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, It's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's 
slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. What do I feel? It's Anything Goes Friday. We've got some of your comments from Bill Allman. I was once told many, many years ago to read Karl Marx once and then read it again, but this time very slowly and research the footnotes. Huge difference the second and third time around. He wasn't always right. Most definitely a man of his times and truly understood capitalism. And to understand capitalism, one must read and understand Marx's writings. Second, David Sins. I hope I'm getting your name right. In the 1980s, I was a machinist in a non-union shop. I understood then that I benefited by the existence of unions. Much harder now to get good treatment. Eric McDonald's. I'm reminded of my favorite lyrics from this 1970s protest song called Freedom Death Dance. Everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants peace of mind. Everybody says we should ignore the graves we dance upon. But I've really got news for you. There's only so much dancing we can do that would ban the bomb, feed the starving children, bring justice and equality to you and me. No amount of dancing is going to make us free. Amen, Eric McDonald's. Thank you for being part of the show. And such a helpful part. That's what I'm talking about, as the kids say, or as the kids said when I was a kid. As far as broader economic theory, and as far as what is happening right now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has trumpeted in her tweets and talks her economics degree. I'm not in a position to evaluate her as an economist, but I share a critique. And that is, if all we are are civil rights fighting humanities majors, if all we do is make sure that we don't go too far backwards and hopefully continue to go forward in our struggles over civil rights and fundamentally fundamental humanity and identity. If that's the only way we express our virtue and work to bend the arc of history towards justice, then we are missing deeply important challenges. And those important challenges include that we have the biggest wealth disparities now since the Gilded Age. We might call it the last Gilded Age. That in this era of money and robots, we are losing humanity and purpose. And that won't be solved merely if we mildly diversify billionaires. That won't be solved if we continue this run to stress-inducing, life-shortening, democracy-ruining oligarchy. If that oligarchy uh, has a somewhat varied set of backgrounds, that we have to have an economic system where there really is opportunity where there really is, heck, I'd even accept not just a safety net, but as Paul Ryan would like to say, a trampoline, but how is it actually a trampoline? How is it not just something that it seems like a safety net, but you just get stuck to it? Or the safety net has been removed, so you fall to the floor, but then you realize the floor has been dropped. And that you are fed the cover of Forbes magazine, which tells us that the soon-to-be richest, and I'm using air quotes, self-made billionaire is a Kardashian. And I don't want to take anything away from Kylie Jenner's lip kits, but it is stretching it to some degree to call her self-made. They likened her to Mark Zuckerberg. I would say that he stood on narrower shoulders, but even he came from some degree of privilege. 
And you said, oh, I too could make lip kits. And I could be a billionaire in my 20s and be on the cover of Forbes magazine. If I had an older sister who was really famous and parents who were rich and parents who got famous during the OJ trial, and if I had TV shows that I didn't even have to be part of at the beginning, and then I too could be self-made. I could be a self-made billionaire and run for president if I inherited millions of dollars, if I had my school paid for me and I was handed a network of relationships with banks and lenders and construction firms, then you too could be self-made. That your sex tape could be really famous and you could parlay that into additional reality shows. You could learn from the lessons of the brilliant Paris Hilton. And you too could be self-made if you were Hilton. And what I am saying now, one of the things I want to say in response, so I appreciate Eric's comment on art, that everyone wants happiness, but no amount of dancing is going to make us free. That we need to dance. That if our revolution isn't dancing, I don't want to be part of that revolution. But if that's all it's doing, then we are fooling ourselves. And as we decide what we are engaging in resistance for, I would say we are resisting against fundamental systemic immorality, against democracy, recognizing, as democracy does, that the only thing that justifies rulership is the consent of the governed, and in economic power, that its best justification is to the degree that one has the capacity to get there also, not to be born on the top of the ladder, climb a little bit harder, a little bit farther, and kick it out from beneath you, that we can root for excellence. We can even listen to Nietzsche when he says, no, life shouldn't just be about happiness, it should be about struggle, and I would respond if he were alive, okay, but let's at least make sure everybody's got a chance to struggle in a way that will make their whole life a little bit better and not just a worsening struggle. When we are making the moral paragons, not only the people who get to buy stuff, but the people who get to be admired as people who are self-made. But who's the self that's making them? This is Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. is the Tom Hartman Program. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in. It is Anything Goes Friday. It is also Friday the 13th. And on this Friday the 13th, bad luck or maybe something else ended up robbing us of our means of communication, the telephone allowing your calls to come in here. And if you think I, it is merely that I have a lot to say, that may be true. But I'm also interested, and we are also interested in recognizing that this show is your show. Sure as heck isn't my show. And we want to hear from you. Fortunately, there are a couple other ways to communicate. One is the Twitter feed. You can hit Tom Hartman. You can also comment in the YouTube if you're watching there. You can also tweet me at Jefferson D. Smith. You can also I get my text line. That might be a little dangerous. My, uh, my, yeah, I'll give you my email address. My email address is jeffersonsmith at gmail.com. Yeah, if you want to text me, my mobile line is 971-275-2701. Hit us up. Here is from Kyle. Earlier in the week, you asked the worst possible thing the Trump administration could do. I thought of the Walter White meth lab in the White House basement. Trump, Trump has already been connected to child sex trafficking. All right, Walter White meth lab. So would the Walter White meth lab in the White House basement, would that break down the red wall? Would that be something that got Donald Trump's support not only down to 40% or 36% or 42%, but actually would Fox News get off the Trump bus then? Another one, music resistance saying, listen to some 80s Reagan-era punk rock. That's a good one. I thought about that. I thought a lot about it. And I, and I, and I don't count myself an expert, but I, I thought a lot about it, about how art intersects with politics and resistance and democracy. And the challenge I have 
with too much of it. This includes stuff that I love, including 80 eras, punk era, new wave and, and, and harder rock. It includes the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in the 70s and even the 80s or the Rolling Stones. And it is that there wasn't enough connection to strategy. Now, that doesn't mean I'm suggesting that Paul McCartney needed to write George Lakoff's book. It doesn't mean that he needs to be going to the strategy meetings. But that we need to be interacting with more than just rage or pacificity. It needs to be vigilance. We need to be encouraging and sharing songs that hit us emotionally, because that is, of course, largely the purpose, that feed our souls, because whatever happens, we have one life to live, and let us love it as best we can. But also, I really like the one Eric McDonald's shared, because it was making the point that no amount of dancing is going to make us free. There's only so much dancing we can do that would ban the bomb, feed the starving children, bring justice and equality to you and me. Some other notes that we got in, and again, you can tweet me at Jefferson D. Smith. I want to say thank you and shout out to Todd Telford. Will the disgruntled Republicans in the silent center join with Bernie fans in fighting the conservatives who stole the soul of the GOP? If so, an inclusive America can be achieved and true conservatives can take back the GOP. Democrats should help them do it. All right, I, want, I do want to address this one how we think about political parties. The first thing is my own take is don't think political party first. You can vote political party first. You can go to your precinct committee. You can learn as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the progressive celebrity of the month, and hopefully longer than that, has reminded, as the Koch brothers reminded, that in a first-past-the-post system, the best chance at meaningful change is to occupy, is to influence one of the two major political parties. You can be really cognizant of party politics, but the way that I think is best to understand them is as not empty, but nonetheless vessels. The Democratic Party was the racist party until it wasn't anymore. And now the Republican Party is the racist party. And that doesn't mean that every Democrat was racist. And it doesn't mean that every Republican is now. But where white supremacists found their best sucker, where they found their best coalition was, and we have to be honest about that, the Democratic Party in the 1800s and up to the Dixiecrats. And over the last 50 years, certainly since the Nixon Southern strategy has been the Republicans. And that demonstrates once again that the first principle shouldn't be party. The first principle should be humanity. The first principle should be democracy. The first principle should be equality. The first principle should be nurture. The first principle should be anti-oppression. The first principle should be making the world a little bit better, having a little bit better opportunity so lives can be a little bit easier. And that those need to be the first principles and then occupy parties to do that bidding. The first environmentalist president was Teddy Roosevelt. He was a Republican. The progressive era was built with Republicans. Women's suffrage was fought for by Republicans. The Civil Rights Act was fought for by Republicans. No modern Republican can, with a straight face, claim that mantle and get any credit. But it is, in fact, true that if we are going to change the nation, it is not going to require merely one party. It is going to require movements that cut across barriers, Racial barriers, religious barriers, and political party barriers. And I say this as someone who has been a proud Democratic Party precinct person, somebody who sees the apparatus of the political party as a key thing, that even strengthening that apparatus, and it ain't that strong right now. You think it is because it's a big name. But mostly, the Democratic Party is controlled by its financiers and the organizations that have direct membership and dough. And the DNC and the local state parties rely upon that. The local state parties, if you were to go to visit your county party, if you are a Bernie supporter and haven't done it before, you would find that the politics, setting aside if you disagreed on Hillary versus Bernie, if you started talking about climate change, if you started talking about progressive taxation, if you talked about the inheritance tax, if you talk about Black Lives Matter, you would find almost unanimous agreement that strengthening grassroots party infrastructure can be one of the smartest moves to use. But we can't think merely party first. You can tweet us at Jefferson D. Smith or at Tom underscore Hartman. We got another one from Tyrant the Hawk 
Perhaps the most perfect example of a modern artist of resistance is the band. Am I allowed to say P-Riot, or do I have to just say P-Riot? Pussy Riot, thank you. They went to jail for their beliefs in opposition. From Gladys Kravitz. What? A technical glitch during a Tom Hartman show? Blame Comcast. If only Tom were there. She said was there, but it's were there. A condition contrary to fact requires a subjunctive mood. If Tom were there to talk at length about the nature of the problem, he is ever powerless to remedy. And I'll say that because one of our previous listeners texted in encouraging people not to abide by the political movements that were begat from Karl Marx, but at least know the critique of capitalism that he offered. And what he offered was, if the promise of capitalism was everybody had a chance to get rich, what if the means of production, the means of getting rich, are held by too few? In an information era, and we'll talk more about this after the break, in an information era, how does a democracy work if the means of communication are held by a few? And if those means of communication that we have our ownership of radio stations, which progressives don't own, is cable companies who don't want net neutrality. How can democracy work if the means of communication aren't themselves democratic? That's not a Tom rant, but I'm Jeff, and this is The Tom Hartman Show. And we're honored to be with you. The call-in number isn't working right now, but at Jefferson D. Smith is, and we're going to be back in just a minute. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is Jefferson Smith and Tom Hartman Show. We'll be right back. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech, in fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable, it is high-tech, and yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary, and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's gonna help your posture. And you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is gonna work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. A couple of texts coming over. Hi, Jefferson. This is from Lisa Y. What's up, Lisa Y? I wish we could hear your voice. We will on another day soon. Listening to Trump's press junkets, I am wondering why no one is calling him for what he is, an extortionist, making all kinds of threats to get his way. Isn't that the very definition of extortion? Pretty close. It's extortion typically is threats of violence. It can be threats of other things also. If it's other things also, I think it's usually considered blackmail. Donald Trump, I didn't read Art of the Deal, and Donald Trump didn't write it. I don't know what it would have said about extortion or blackmail. But I do think there's at least a couple things going on. One is he can think of himself as a tough deal maker if he goes in and says something crazy. But also, and here's the lesson, and I'll repeat it as many times as I'm allowed to do so, the bully pulpit works differently now. When the term was crafted, the bully pulpit meant radio, and it meant you got control, control or at least influence the newspaper headlines. Later on, and made most obvious in the Reagan administration, the bully pulpit meant that you could control the 24-hour news cycle. You could have a morning news briefing, and that could be the thing that everybody was talking about. And if you had elected an actor who was trained to be a gifted communicator and could read the lines... Well, you had a first crack to read the best lines that were best for you. In the information era, in the social media era, 
It is different from capturing the newspaper headline on people's morning doorstep. It is different from the 24-hour news cycle of NBC, ABC, and CBS. You have to attract attention. And attention isn't only dominated by those outlets. Attention isn't only dominated by the power of the pulpit itself. To be a bully, you have to be bullyish, or at least you have to deliver the kind of content that other people share. And if you say something that other people are saying, well, it might not get retweeted that much. If you say something absurd, if you say something that gets other people to say, we can't say that, can we? That's not something we're supposed to talk about. And then we all reach, we look at this crazy guy, the crazy stuff he says. You're not supposed to say that, bad boy, Donald Trump, you floating baby over London. Well, then every time we've done that, we've allowed that to control the conversation. Not the morning newspaper headline, not the 24-hour ABC, CBS, NBC news cycle, but the feed on our phones, which is the modern-day television. The curators who are saying, this is what you should look at because isn't it crazy? The addiction more and more of us have, including me, when I get just a little bit of natural heroin coming out of my brain when my phone buzzes and I say, oh, I better look at it. I better check out what crazy thing has happened. And he can control the discussion. And as long, and so everybody who thinks that that is all unintentional, oh, it's just because he lacks discipline. Well, he's managed not to talk about a lot of stuff. He's managed not to talk about the fact that he knew Justice Kennedy and Justice Kennedy's kid was his number one banker. He has managed not to talk about Stormy Daniels. He has demonstrated all kinds of message discipline. But he does control the conversation when he's crazy. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. It is Anything Goes Friday. And one of the things that went was our phone system. So if you're wondering why I'm talking a lot, it is not because I don't love you. It is because I do. And we are going to give you the very best we can, including responding to your excellent questions and comments coming over text, coming in the YouTube feed, coming over Twitter. The easiest Twitter handle for me to check on my phone is at Jefferson D. Smith. We have got Courtney from Ukiah, California. I didn't even think I pronounced Ukiah correctly. You're doing a great job filling in. Thank you very much. Your energy, quite different from Tom's. Sorry about that. Is a welcome addition to the show. You're welcome for that. I have a great analogy I heard about the diversity of America I would love to share. I think you'd dig it. I didn't catch your email address, or I can send a lengthy text. It takes a little to unpack, but it's worth it. Oh, I recognize now you didn't necessarily want me to read that whole text on the air. That's fine. My email, I'll do my email address. That's easier. Uh, JeffersonSmith at Gmail. We got Eric Murphy from, from Murphy NC, which I think is North Carolina. Listen to early Metallica, any Megadeth CD. Go back and listen to Megadeth, Holy Wars. Thank you, Eric. I will. I appreciate it. No, no, like the punk stuff, the punk stuff was real. And then how do we translate that into not just rage against the machine by not doing stuff, but sometimes wearing our mohawk on the inside, sometimes raging against the machine by doing nerdy, nerdy, nerdy stuff, like going to city council meetings, like arguing for zoning so there's more housing so that more people can afford their rent by hanging out in the legislative lobby, because by the way, the capital of your state legislature is your building, and you can go there as much as you want as long as the building isn't locked. And you can meet with legislators, and they will say yes to the meetings with you. How do we go from megadeath to nerdy, nerdy stuff? This is essentially the question that I wrestle with. This is the, this is the exercise in the intellectual, verbal, and strategic gymnasium amongst which I dance. And I appreciate the texts and the messages. Let's check the Twitter feed real quick. And again, you're listening to the Tom Hartman Show. One of the Twitter feeds here is at Jefferson D. Smith. I was talking about, and I think it was during the free speech TV portion. Oh, it was just prior. The means of communication. That it is kind of funny that the phone lines went down on Friday the 13th. Ha ha, Knights Templar, you got your revenge. Jesus, it wasn't our fault. Tom Hartman is one of the good guys. But the idea that we have a precious few choices of how to communicate, and those precious few choices are not the platforms. There's lots of them. My, I'm littered with chat tools. 
I can do Gchat. I can do Slack. I do Slack with my team. I can use the text message through my Apple as I plug various corporate brands. We still have radio and TV. We've got records. Heck, some newspapers even print paper. But the ownership of these things is in way too few hands. That we are being disguised. That the means of communication seem more small d democratic, but they ain't. That's why net neutrality was and remains so important. And it's why the irony, the synchronicity, the frustration of losing our means of communication, or at least one of those means, a couple of those means of communication on Friday the 13th is funny because of the Knights Templar or ironic because of the Knights Templar. It also raises the point of why you are so important, of why building a community around values, around building a community around democracy, around communication, about the best idea wins. And while making sure we use every communication means necessary to build that community. Every time Comcast goes down and I'm reminded that I have to say the name Apple, Facebook, and Twitter, and Comcast, and I have to promote the brands and offer faux gratitude to oligarchs. Every time I do it, it reminds me of why we have to fight against oligarchy and why we need a love army, and why we need a coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. Without you, democracy is not possible. With you, it is. And you are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Show. Marsha Sherman, Citizens United. I've always opposed the naming of that SCOTUS ruling because I find it more appropriate to name it Corporations United. Worst law in history for citizens. Thank you, Marsha Sherman. The reason it's called Citizens United, maybe Marsha knows this, I can't tell from the tweet, is because that was who was being sued. Because that was who was under complaint. Because that was the party. It was a right wing. It was a, that was the party to the matter. Citizens United was the name of a right wing group. And they won. And I agree that calling it Citizens United is a bummer because if a citizen is going to unite about something, it should not be to further offer secrecy and unlimited purchase speech to economic oligarchs who want to control the means of communication. That was a mouthful. David Cochran, anything goes Fridays. You touched a little bit on it Monday. The media and most resistors concentrate efforts with Congress. Do you think more should be said in the resistance about changing local houses? That has been a Republican strategy for decades. Yes, David Cochran, I do. David Cochran, I don't know if your family or friends tell this to you enough, but you are a genius, sir, a genius, a poet, a scholar, a saint, someone who deserves praise and gratitude on a regular basis. You are absolutely right, and I could not emphasize it more if I came up with more adjectives on a moment's notice. That if we can change legislatures, legislatures draw lines. Those lines are determining congressional votes as much as or more than any other factor. A majority of the people did not vote in this Congress any more than a majority of the people voted in this president. And while Fox News won't tell it to you, there is a war on democracy, and we have anti-majoritarians now picking Supreme Court justices who will never have to be voted on. If we are going to build, we have to build from the bottom up, and the bottom up absolutely includes state houses. That's how I got into this mess. I didn't think I was going to be politics. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Now I have the privilege, the privilege, the pleasure and the privilege talking to you on this, the Tom Hartman Radio Program. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's Anything Goes Friday, and anything is going. We are in the home stretch. We have a chance, finally, thanks to the wonderful team here, uh, taking a few phone calls. We're going to try something right now. It's called three at a time. I'm going to take three calls. You're going to speak your piece. Keep it under 15 seconds if you possibly can. And then I'm going to respond to one or all of them after that. This way we'll be able to get through more calls since you've been bottled up the entire time. Let's start with James from Spokane. James, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Uh, first of all, drain the swamp. You know what I'm saying? Pump it up. Pump it up. And then secondly, I want to say uh, about our this apprentice, mealy mouth president, we have DJ Trump. Hello? Hello? Oh, I'm here. I'm listening to you. Yeah, okay. Um, the term mealy mouth is defined in the dictionary as euphemistic and insincere. Yeah. 
that's that man. And I'm telling you, DJ, if you know the term in music, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a title. Yeah. He is so jive. DJ Trump suits him to the team. DJ Trump. All right. Zach from Hollywood, California. Go ahead. Yes, this is about when greed becomes so intoxicated with power that it becomes incompetent. The so-called conservative values are being exposed as fraudulent, and their incompetence in placing a bad, ineffective puppet who was known to be a 10-carat gold-plated fraud is blowing up in their face. The New Yorkers knew it, but, but they didn't see it coming that the Hicks would so thoroughly embrace a blowhard con man with a fake OK signs appealing to the most basic instinct that Brown is bad, this shallow theme, this exercise in uncivility. I appreciate your call. I want to go to John Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hey, how you doing? I, I just wanted to comment off the, um, the guy who just called in reference to he was setting up the uh, argument for um, saying that uh, about reparations and all that. I, uh, I'm an African-American also, retired veteran, two, 22 years in the military. Thank you. And I just don't accept his, uh, his parameter, his argument, the parameters he set up in that argument, uh, the either or, uh, reparations, deal with, deal with, like, we can only, you know, chew bubble gum and we can't walk at the same time. It was just ridiculous in what, how he presented his argument. No, no, no African-American in his true heart and soul can feel the way that he's expressed himself. I mean, I could hear his frustration in his voice about reparations and all of that, but that's, that's a totally different um, uh, argument and a totally different situation. We can, we can take care of that at the same time as uh, maintaining our humanity and um, um, uh, accepting and, and, and doing what we need to do, set, setting up legislative uh, rules and, and barriers and policies to go and accept um, people who are coming from South America. And so- There's almost nothing I could agree with more in the whole world. Johnny's still there. I think I cut you off. Yeah, I'm still here. You, you've, if you want to finish your point, please do. Yeah, well, I just, I, I mean, when, when I've been, I've been deployed down, down in, the, in South America and all that, and I see the different cultures. Um, an American is a person who, who makes an obligation to the Constitution. Um, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't what, um, matter what language you speak. It matters what um, you understand America to be and, what you, and that you want to be a part of it. I mean, we come from we come from Europe, we come from Asia, we come from um, all continents in the world. There's no reason why America, the, the richest, most powerful nation in the world, cannot do our due diligence and accept refugees who are who are uh, fleeing a situation that that initially it started by us. I mean, we have to take the responsibility. Europe's doing what they need to do. We have we need to take the responsibility in our own continent and make sure we take care take care of our people and maintain our humanity. What the what the Republicans are trying to do, or the conservative party or uh, agency, is trying to make us um, separate. When you separate, we can't stand. I mean, if we stand together, stand together, we're more powerful. If we separate, we can't stand. We'll be sitting there bickering, just like he is about the about the reparations, when we could be standing together and taking care of all that in one lump sum. I wish I could have played a music bed under your call. There are very few things that can be said under God's green earth that I could have agreed with with greater power. I appreciate your call so much, John, and thank you for your service and your participation here. Hector from Chicago. How you doing? Uh, I just heard the gentleman I mean, uh, so upset at uh, black people not having priority as far as jobs and over, over Mexicans. And the way I look at it is, you know, the Chinese came during the Ice Age, and the, every empire is a master of lies, and they want to simply say the, China, the Indians were all that were here, and it's old Mexico America yeah. is. Uh, so I, I know it sounds strange to put it that way. Since no, I mean, I pre- did, I, I, Hector, Hector, I, I, I appreciate the call. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Mary, you're about to close us out. Yes, um, I was wanting to make a comment about um, Congress yesterday and their words versus actions with that Peter Strzok and his text message. Yeah. My point is when the Supreme Court made their ruling and Trump, you know, on that Trump Muslim ban, and he said that his words about banning all Muslims, it didn't matter. It's what he did is what matters. Yeah. But wouldn't that apply to this here case also? It's a ruling from the Supreme Court. Yeah, but I think they're playing a different game. I think that they're not only playing a game of intellectual and legal and precedential precedential consistency. I just think they're playing a little bit different game. Zach, Hollywood, yeah. I think you got about 20 seconds. Oh, I was wrong. Here's what I want to say. I want to say thank you to everybody for being with this show, for being with Tom, for building a community of democracy, 
for being a community that, yeah, will, of course, disagree from time to time, but ultimately be on the side of justice, on the side of humanity, on the side of democracy. And I thank you, the Coalition of the Benevolent Irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason, but I would say for a very good reason, and you're priceless. Worth a lot, not for sale. Tom will be back with you. And I've been really honored to be with you this week. Happy Bastille Day tomorrow. Happy 13th of Friday today. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.